Recorded live. All right, Jack, one, two, one, two, one, two, one, two. This is Jam Radio Network.
European woman and the lady from the Orient. I've got a message for you, girl. This is the master, the master's message that is sent. He told me to tell you to leave
Thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings. Thank you, Lord. Thank, thank you. Lives will be better clean, so we thank you. I make Jesus. Yeah, we thank you. Call to courage. Acts chapter 23, looking at verse 10, we read these words. Now there arose a great dissension, and the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. But the following night the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, you will also bear witness in Rome. And when it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. So all of this happened as a result of Paul's full proclamation of the gospel, and he was arrested and taken away by soldiers and ultimately was imprisoned. So here he had gone to bring the gospel to these people, and the next thing he knows, he's locked up in a cold, damp, dark prison cell. And I'm sure 
on the first night there, he was a discouraged man. Why do I say that? Because of the Lord's words to him. When he said, Paul, be of good cheer. That phrase, be of good cheer, could better be translated, be of good courage. So I conclude that Paul was probably a little bit discouraged, a little bit frustrated. Whenever the angels of the Lord would appear in Scripture and say, fear not, it was usually because someone was afraid at that given moment. So I conclude that here when an angel, or rather the Lord himself says, be of good courage, Paul needed that special word at that particular moment. Have you ever been down in the dumps and had someone tried to cheer you up and actually made you more miserable? You know, they had the best intentions in mind, but they didn't say the right thing. Hey, man, what's wrong? Smile. Great great skies are going to clear up. Put on a happy face. Spreading sunshine. Oh, get out of here. No, hey, smile. Don't worry. Be happy. Then they sing that song to you. And that's enough to make you depressed if you remember that song. Remember? Don't worry. Be happy. Forget it. You don't remember it. Be of good courage. I think courage is something that is in short supply these days, where people, men and women, will courageously stand up for what is right. We talked about how powerful fear can be. Well, courage is fear that has said its prayers. And thankfully, there are courageous men and women out there. I don't know if you read in the paper... There was a fire captain, his name was Joe Dupee, up in Los Angeles, who died trying to save other lives. He and his crew of 140 men uh, were fighting a fire at a supply shop in Los Angeles. And when Joe saw that it was becoming too dangerous, he told his men to exit the building. And Captain Steve Ruda told the Associated Press he had total concern for the welfare of his crew. They were able to exit the building. But then when the supervisors were counting heads, they discovered that Joe Dupee was missing. And he said, once everyone was outside, we became aware he did not follow his company out. This courageous man died thinking of others. Well, what you may not know, and this wasn't reported in the news, is Captain Joe Dupee was a committed Christian. And I just received a letter uh, from a close friend of his tells me a little bit about him. He says, Dear Greg, I want to tell you about my friend Joe, who you may have heard about. And he said, he exemplified Galatians 2.20 as well as James 1.22. Galatians 2.20 says, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. And then James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not yours only. He says, Joe was a no-nonsense kind of guy who couldn't understand why any believer would want to be anything less than completely sold out for God. He was. Joe epitomized integrity. He had a passion for witnessing, and he went out on less than glamorous evangelical outreaches to the L.A. County and USC Medical Center, as well as a local convalescent home, where he would give his testimony with boldness and conviction. Joe, as another firefighter put it, would read his Bible in the morning at the station and then share its virtues with the guys at the breakfast table. He would drive the bus and pick up handicapped church members every other Sunday and also attended the Harvest Crusade. I know since then Joe enjoyed listening to your New Beginning radio broadcast very much. He highly valued the broadcast, which he came to enjoy so much on his pre-dawn early morning commute. I have no doubt that the last week on that final drive 
into town. He was turned into your teaching and admonishment. And then this guy goes on to just encourage us for what we're doing. But I was so touched by that. I wrote a letter to Joe's widow as well as to this man offering our consolation and telling her that we would be praying for her. But I thought this is a man of courage, a man that stood up for what was right, not only uh, facing danger and getting his buddies out of the fire, but then, of course, no matter where he went, he boldly stood up for the Lord. We need people of courage today, and they seem to be lacking far too often. So what did the Lord do and say to Paul to bring encouragement to his discouraged heart? Well, let's find the answer. Verse 11 gives us one of three things I'd like to point out. First of all, we read in verse 11, the Lord stood by him and said, be of good cheer, Paul, as you've testified of me in Jerusalem, you'll also bear witness in Rome. But just simply this, the Lord stood by him. Sometimes it seems as though the Lord is the only one who is standing by us. But if everyone else forsook Paul, Jesus was company enough. If all of the others despised him, the smile of Jesus was approval enough. And though his circumstances were less than ideal, I'm sure he knew it was better to be in jail with the Lord than with anyone else, or rather than anywhere else without him. And I want you to know that Jesus is there in your prisons as well. For some, it's a literal cell that they're in right now because they've broken the law. When we were back in England on this last trip, uh, I told you of a letter that I received of a person who was uh, in jail as a heroin addict, and they heard the gospel from our broadcast over the radio and committed their life to Christ. There are people in jails, of course, today, if you go and visit them, they'll all tell you they're innocent. But many of them, if not most of them, are guilty of a crime. But thankfully, even in a prison cell, if they turn from their sin and put their faith in Christ, they can be forgiven, and the Lord will be with them in that cell. But for others, it might be the prison of a hospital room, or it might be the prison of some other thing that is holding them in. And to those people today, Jesus is saying, be courageous. It might be a prison cell of mourning because of the loss of a relationship or even the loss of a person altogether through death. But whatever and wherever that prison is in your life, Jesus is with you now. He knows what you're going through. We're told over in Hebrews 4.16, we don't have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Then that scripture goes on to say, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. The scripture is saying, look, know this, you have a God that understands what it is that you're going through. A God that knows what it's like to face what you're facing. Therefore, go to this God. Bring your problems to him. Bring your concerns to him. Go boldly to his throne of grace and receive the grace that he will give you to help you in your time of need. And Jesus also knew for Paul and for us what is ahead. He came to Paul in his hour of need because he knew he would need this special touch. You see, Paul was basically oblivious to what was going on around him. He did not know at this moment, as he was in prison, there were 40 Jews that had taken an oath to not eat or drink until they had killed Paul. So in some ways, though it was unknown to him at the time, 
the prison probably was one of the best places he could have been. And sometimes when we end up in a certain situation, we'll say, why did God allow this to happen to me? And then later on, as a few years pass by and we have the hindsight of 2020, we're able to look back on certain circumstances, we can see why the Lord did what he did or why he did not do what we thought he ought to do. He was ignorant of what was happening. And, you know, to be honest with you, I'm glad I don't always know what's going on around me. Uh, the things that are happening in the supernatural as well as the natural realm, the plots that might be out there against you, those that want to destroy you, we may not know, but we know that the Lord is with us wherever we are. David knew a little bit about potentially fearing for his life. Wrote these words in Psalm 27. For in the day of trouble, he'll keep me safe in his dwelling. He'll hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. Then I'm told in Isaiah 54:17, no weapon turned against you will succeed. And everyone who tells lies in court will be brought to justice. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. Their vindication will come from me. I, the Lord, have spoken. Listen, you may be able to lie and fool people for a time, but eventually it's all going to come to light. It's all going to be declared for what it is. But the good thing is, is even if people are plotting against you as a child of God, you don't have to be afraid because the Lord is with you. He was there with Paul in his prison cell, and he's there with you wherever you are. And then there's the second thing Jesus did to bring comfort and courage to Paul's heart. It's found also in verse 11. Jesus said, you testified for me in Jerusalem. Very simple statement. But it's simply an acknowledgement of the Lord that he knew what Paul had already done. Paul, I know that in your heart, it was your desire to testify for me in Jerusalem. I know that you're probably discouraged right now. And you thought maybe you should have had a ministry that would have lasted longer and it was cut short. And here you are in this prison cell. I know that your heart was in the right place. Now, commentators have debated as to whether or not Paul should have done what he had done. Because when the prophet Agabus came to him and said, you're going to be bound, and Paul said, so what? I'm ready to die for Christ. And when anyway, some would suggest that Paul was out of the will of God. The result was, now he was reaping the consequences of that in the prison cell. Others would say that he wasn't out of the will of God at all. The Lord revealed to him what was ahead, but it was all part of God's plan. I tend to lean toward that one, by the way. But who can say? I can't say with absolute certainty, but whatever the case, the Lord was saying, Paul, I know that you were testifying for me in Jerusalem. Now, God is aware of everything you have ever done for him. Sometimes, as we're faithfully laboring away for the Lord, quietly somewhere, we don't receive the fanfare of men. People don't recognize the sacrifices we've made. They don't see the things that we're doing when you get up late at night and maybe you're praying for people or you're out there faithfully reaching out and people aren't aware of it. Jesus Christ sees it. And if you're doing it for him, isn't that all that really matters anyway? Right? Lord saying, Paul, I, I know what you did. I know you testified for me there in Jerusalem. 
Did he do the right thing? I think he probably did. But even if he didn't, the Lord still encouraged him. Let's just say, to make a point, that Paul had made a mistake. Well, the Lord didn't write him off, did he? He said, I know that your heart was in the right place. I know you were trying to do the right thing. You testified for me. But then look at the third thing that Jesus said to Paul to bring courage to his heart. He said, you will bear witness also in Rome. Paul, cheer up, buddy. You're not going to stay in that prison. I have a future for you. They're not going to kill you. You're going to bear witness in Rome. And God, in the same way, has a future for each of us. Jeremiah 29:11, one of my favorite all-time verses. God says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. Are you afraid of an uncertain future right now? Are you discouraged, feeling like you've even failed? But Jesus knows where you are at this very moment. He knows what you're experiencing. He is saying to you to be courageous because he is with you, and there is a brighter tomorrow for you. It's not over with. And even if you fail, even if you've made a mistake, you can still learn from that mistake and get out of the situation you're in. There's a story that I'm reminded of where the same phrase is used by Jesus where he said, be of good courage. The story of when Jesus sent his disciples over the Sea of Galilee. He had just fed the 5,000 people with a handful of loaves and fishes. He told his disciples to get into their little boat and go to the other side. And so they obeyed him, and they're making their way across the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus went up into a mountain to pray, probably praying for his disciples. Because as they were making their way across, a huge storm came. And this was worse than most storms they had seen before. And it got worse and worse. There were overhead waves, and they began to despair of life. And then the Bible tells us, Matthew's Gospel, when the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost! And they cried out in fear. And Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. Don't be afraid. That's that same phrase that Jesus used with Paul. Take courage. Don't be afraid. Now, there's two reasons why they didn't have to be afraid. Simple reasons. Number one, Jesus was on board now. And he would help them to weather the storm. And number two, he said, now let's go to the other side. He didn't say, let's drown together, shall we? He said, let's go to the other side. And in the same way, maybe right now you're a little bit discouraged. And you're saying, well, I don't know what's going to happen to me. Listen, Jesus is on board, isn't he? Or is he? Now, he's not on board every life. He's only on board the life that has invited him in. But if you've asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior and Lord, he is there with you. And he said, let's go over to the other side. He didn't say, let's crash and burn. Let's go over to the other side. And that means God is going to complete the work he has begun in your life. The Bible says that God, who has begun a good work in you, will complete it under the day of Jesus Christ. There's many reasons I'm glad I'm not God. Many, many, many. But uh, one of them is, I am the kind of a person that starts projects and forgets about them. So I have half-done projects. I have models that I started three years ago. 
that I vow to finish one day. You know, I'll get right to the very end of building the model. All I have to do is paint a few things and I'll say, I need to go buy that paint one of these days. And I never get around to it. Or maybe I'll be cleaning my desk and I'll get it almost complete. Now, well, I'll do it a little bit later. I want to do something else right now. And it drives my wife crazy, of course. But aren't you glad that God is in that way? That he would be working with us and, and then just suddenly lose interest. I'm, I'm sick of Greg. You know, he says, I want to move on to a new life. I'm not going to finish him. And you're just sort of left hanging. Hello, God, please. He's going to complete the work that he has begun in your life. He's going to get you to the other side. And that not only means that one day we'll get to heaven, but it means that he will complete the work of making us more and more like Jesus as well. So we need to just remember that, that he is with us in our prison. He is aware of what we have done for him, and he has a future for us as well. But listen, these promises are only true for the child of God. And how do you become a child of God? Well, you're certainly not born that way. The Bible says, for as many as received him, he gave them the power to become sons of God. There has to come a moment in every person's life where they receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Have you done that yet? Maybe you're going through a crisis right now. Maybe the bottom has dropped out for you recently. Similar to the story I told you in the beginning of the message of this young man who had most of his friends die and was at the end of his rope and was searching for God, but thankfully he found his way here and heard the gospel and gave his life to the Lord. Maybe you've had a friend die recently. Maybe you've had a crisis hit recently. Maybe something traumatic has taken place in your life to wake you up to the urgency of the time and to show you that you're not going to necessarily live forever in this body, of course, on this earth. Only the Christian has the confidence that God will see them through. And it could be this very crisis that would drive you to the Lord and cause you to turn to Him. And even if that's the case, I want you to know God welcomes you right now. We don't know when our lives will come to an end. We may live many more years. We only may live a relatively short time. I read about an atheist who was approaching the end of his life, and he shared this one regret, and I quote, there is one thing that mars the pleasure of my life. If I could know that death is an eternal sleep, I would die happy. But this fear pierces my soul. If the Bible is true, then I am lost forever. End quote. If the Bible is true. Well, I want you to know the Bible is true. It's true. And I'm sure that a man like Joe Dupee was glad of it when he was ushered immediately into the presence of God as he laid down his life for his fellow firefighters. And I'm sure any person who has ever gone through that doorway of death is sure glad to know it. It is true. And the Bible tells us that there is life beyond the grave, but there are two places we can spend eternity, either heaven or hell. And I determine where I will spend eternity by what I do with Jesus Christ. Because 2,000 years ago, he died on the cross for us, and he shed his blood for every sin we have ever committed. And if we'll turn from our sin and put our faith in him, he will forgive us, no matter who you are. 
You may be a down-and-outer like that person that I mentioned in a prison cell in England. You might be a person where things are going relatively well, but you still need God's forgiveness in your life. He can bring courage to you, purpose to you, but you must put your faith in him. In a moment, we're going to pray, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to put your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to be certain that when you die, you will go to heaven. And if you've never asked Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sin, if you're walking through life right now trying to work out your own problems and trying to carry your own burdens and you don't know what it's like to have the God that loves you working inside of you, then I invite you to respond to this invitation that I will extend right now. If you've never asked Christ to come into your life, here's an opportunity to take that step. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your words of encouragement. And I pray for those that have joined us who may not yet know you. These who have not yet put their trust and faith in you, help them to do that now, we would pray. In Jesus' name we pray. You've been listening to Pastor Greg Laurie's presentation called Christ's Call to Courage. And if you'd like to give your heart to Christ right now, pray this prayer along with Pastor Greg. Jesus says, I stand at the door and I knock, and if you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. Only you can open the door of your heart, so to speak. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that right now through prayer. In a moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of receiving Christ as your Savior and Lord. So if you want him, to come into your life, just stop what you're doing if you can right now and pray this prayer with me. God, I know that I'm a sinner, but I thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for me. I turn now from my sin, and I turn to you by faith. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Savior. Be my Lord. Be my God. Be my friend. Fill me with your spirit and help me to follow you from this time forward as your disciple. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you just prayed that prayer a minute from your heart, I want you to know that God has heard you and he has forgiven you of your sin. We'd like to send you a packet of materials free of charge if you're making a first-time commitment to Jesus Christ. And here's Dave to tell you more. It's called the New Believer's Growth Packet. It's a collection of materials that will get you started off right in your new relationship with Christ. We'll send it your way free of any charge or obligation. And when you get in touch, ask about our other Christian growth resources available to help you in your knowledge of God and His Word. Address a letter to A New Beginning, Box 4424, Riverside, California, 92514, or phone 1-800-821-3300. You can find out more about Greg Laurie's ministry by visiting the Harvest Crusades website on the Internet at www.harvest.org. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
you are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 
hands can do incredible things, but nothing compares to using them to help save a life with hands-only CPR. If an adult suddenly collapses, call 911, then push hard and fast in the center of their chest until help arrives. Hands-only CPR is recommended by the American Heart Association, and it's incredibly easy and effective. Find out more about this latest method of CPR at handsonlycpr.org. The power to help save a life is in your hands. A message from the American Heart Association and the Ad Council. The following is a presentation of God Questions Ministries. Is Jesus God? Did Jesus ever claim to be God? Jesus is never recorded in the Bible as saying the precise words, I am God. That does not mean, however, that he did not proclaim that he is God. Take, for example, Jesus' words in John 10, verse 30, I and the Father are one. We need only to look at the Jews' reaction to his statement to know that he was claiming to be God. They tried to stone him for this very reason. You, a mere man, claim to be God, verse 33. The Jews understood exactly what Jesus was claiming, deity. Notice that Jesus does not deny his claim to be God. When Jesus declared, I and the Father are one, he was saying that he and the Father are of one nature in essence. John 8, verse 58 is another example. Jesus declared, I will tell you the truth. Before Abraham was born, I am. The response of the Jews who heard this statement was to take up stones to kill him for blasphemy, as the Mosaic law commanded them to do, Leviticus 24, verse 15. John reiterates the concept of Jesus' deity. The Word was God, and the Word became flesh, John 1, verses 1 and 4. These verses clearly indicate that Jesus is God in the flesh. Acts 20, verse 28 tells us, Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Who bought the church? The church of God, with his own blood, Jesus Christ. This verse declares that God purchased his church with his own blood. Therefore, Jesus is God. Thomas, the disciple, declared concerning Jesus, My Lord and my God, John 20, verse 28. Jesus does not correct him. Titus 2, verse 13 encourages us to wait for the coming of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 1, verse 8, the Father declares of Jesus, But about the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. The Father refers to Jesus as, O God indicating that Jesus is indeed God. In Revelation, an angel instructed the Apostle John to only worship God, Revelation 19, verse 10. Several times in Scripture, Jesus receives worship, Matthew 2, verse 11, Matthew 28, verse 9, for example. He never rebukes people for worshiping him. If Jesus were not God, he would have told people to not worship him, just as the angel in Revelation did. There are many other verses and passages of Scripture that argue for Jesus' deity. The most important reason that Jesus has to be God is that if he is not God, his death would not have been sufficient to pay the penalty for the sins of the world. A created being, which Jesus would be if he were not God, could not pay the infinite penalty required for sin against an infinite God. Only God could pay such an infinite penalty. Only God could take on the sins of the world die, and be resurrected, proving his victory over sin and death. God Questions Ministry seeks to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by providing biblical answers to today's questions online at gotquestions.org.
This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
start it one more time in his name. Come on and help me, help me, help me, help me. Over. I just got to turn the tape over. Excuse me. There it go. Woo! Satan's methods. There's nothing new. Answers with Ken Ham whose ministry is building a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati, Ohio. The Apostle Paul warned us about Satan's ways. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warned the Christians that Satan would use the same tactics he used on Eve in the Garden of Eden. And how did he trick Eve? Well, he created doubt about God's word, knowing it would lead to unbelief. Did God really say that? Satan asked Eve. You know, that's the same question many Christians ask today about Genesis. Did God really say six days? Did he really say worldwide flood? Did he really say death came after sin? One of the most effective ways to create doubt about God's word is by teaching evolution in millions of years. And Satan knows that if you can get people to question the book of Genesis, which is foundational to the rest of the Bible, then this doubt will ultimately lead to unbelief regarding the rest of Scripture. We need to accept God's words in Genesis and not let the devil use his old tactics to spread skepticism about the entire Bible. Can we really accept the book of Genesis as true history? Did Noah really build an ark to escape a flood? Solid answers are given in our 95-page pocket guide, and for your copy, all you have to do is call us toll-free and make a donation of any amount. 1-888-89-ANSWERS. Today's the last day to call and request the ARC guide. So call 888-89-ANSWERS or go to our website of AnswersOffer.org. We are talking about our world today. Oh, and someone's on the line. Hi, I'm Jacqueline. Welcome, Jacqueline. How old are you? You sound so young. I'm eight. Oh, wow. I assume you're a student, right? Yes, from Jefferson Elementary. And I have a question. Sure. And what's your question? We all know the Earth has seven continents that currently carry 193 countries. Those continents make up 29% of the Earth's surface, meaning that the vast majority of our planet, 71%, is comprised of water. Taking into consideration man automatically adapts to environmental conditions, why is it that aims to take swimming lessons? Are you ready for kids who eat healthy? Good nutrition can lead to great things. To find out how a healthy lifestyle can help your child succeed, go to MyPyramid.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the Ad Council and USDA. Son, we got to talk about drinking. I know. I don't want you touching alcohol till you're old enough. Yeah, I, I know, Dad. It's not a big deal. Don't, yeah, I know me, okay? And it is a big deal. Underage drinking is just stupid. Yeah, well, why'd you do it? Look, I did it because we didn't know what we know now. Alcohol affects kids differently, okay? When kids drink, it's more dangerous. And you're my kid. And just because they drink doesn't mean you have to. I, I know. I know. Look, son, I'm trying to help. I've seen what it does. I mean, you may think you can handle it, but when you drink, it screws up your judgment. Listen to me. This is real. I, I know, okay? I know. Teenagers know everything. So talk about underage drinking before they know it all, before they're teens. 
Start talking before they start drinking. And keep talking. To learn more about the dangers of underage drinking and what to say to your kids, go to StopAlcoholAbuse.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. Hey, churchgoers. Looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
with me, please, in prayer. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that put you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead. From the death of sin, you are giving me a new life. The life of Jesus Christ. Oh God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Hallelujah. Saved. 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 Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? And are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other message. For there is no other way, there is no other message. Oh, come to him. Come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself totally to him. And you too will enter into that joy of sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. For how will you escape? If you neglect so great salvation. Or how will you escape if you neglect so great salvation? How can I say thanks for 
That's going to do it for you. Surely until Wednesday. Have a wonderful, have a wonderful day. Jack one two one two one two one two. This is Jam Radio Network.